John chapter 8. Jesus teaches that his testimony is valid and that is to be accepted upon faith. So as we consider Christ as our prophet and the one who reveals to us those beautiful words that we just sang, uh, we need him to give us the knowledge of God. And as we, we learn about it, what we see is that we are called to exercise faith in the person of Christ as the one who gives us knowledge. We depend on him in order to reveal to us these eternal truths and we ask that God would grow our faith in that way and we'll think about that specifically tonight but uh, John 8 beginning in verse 12 reading through verse 32 and then we'll use uh, questions 23 and 24 in the back of our red hymnal for our catechism lesson as well here now first God's holy word John chapter 8 When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? they asked. Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Beginning with question 23 of the Shorter Catechism, uh, 
I'm looking at page 871 of the Red Hymnal. Let's read the answers together. Questions 23 and 24. I'll read the questions and respond together. What offices doth Christ execute as our Redeemer? Christ, as our Redeemer, executeth the offices of a prophet, of a priest, and of a king, both in his estate of humiliation and exaltation. How doth Christ execute the office of a prophet? Christ executeth the office of a prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. So one of the main ideas before us tonight, the main truths before us tonight is knowledge. Knowledge of God, saving knowledge of God. How we gain it, how we are to pursue it, and from whom it comes. All of this is connected to the office of prophet that we see in Jesus Christ. And it's necessary to take time to think specifically about knowledge. Knowledge of God and knowledge that comes from his word and his spirit. In Second Peter chapter 1, we see, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and he leads all of the way to love, and he says this, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is first the call to specifically pursue knowledge, and that knowledge is added to, to virtue and to faith. And that all of these qualities, all of these virtues then allow that knowledge with which we have to not be unfruitful. So it is good to focus probably on all of those things in and of themselves. Tonight we're going to think about our knowledge of God. J.I. Packer famously said this regarding our knowledge of God. What were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. What is the best thing in life? Knowledge of God. What in a man gives God most pleasure? Knowledge of himself. So knowledge is something we ought to be chiefly concerned with. How do we know God? How do we know him more? And knowledge becomes that first aspect of how we love God with all our hearts. We see that in the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. It doesn't mean just love God with your affections. In the scriptures, it is the heart that understands and comprehends and thinks and remembers. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So there's an understanding that the heart holds on to in faith and by faith that works against our sinful or our fleshly understanding. So the heart in scripture is that which primarily knows. It knows things and it thinks and it comprehends. So we must have knowledge. We must grow in knowledge if we are to love God with all of 
our hearts. And this is something that can only come to us in and through Christ, this knowledge that we have uh, before us. It's something that only Christ does. And he always has done it, and he always will do it. That is, he always furnishes his people with knowledge of God. It comes from Christ. So in order to know God and to know him more, we, we, that first step we take is exercising faith in the person of Christ. And we are to think about him and trust in him as our prophet and trust that he grants us true knowledge of himself. So uh, three things that will frame what we're thinking about tonight. First, Christ is the prophet from everlasting. Second, Christ is the prophet in the fullness of time. And thirdly, Christ is your prophet now. He's a prophet from everlasting. He's the prophet in the fullness of time. And he's the prophet, he is your prophet now. This first point, Christ is the prophet, the, the, really the ultimate prophet for God's people from everlasting. And this is more of a theological point. We'll look at John 8 a little bit closely in a couple minutes. But we know that it must be God who reveals himself to us. Human beings have no innate knowledge of God. Now, human beings naturally intuit that God exists as we look out and we see all that he has made. So Romans 1 says that it's undeniable that God exists and that in some sense everybody knows this. But Romans 1 says you look out and you see what he has made and we call that general revelation. God has revealed himself in, the wor- in his works and in the world. And special revelation is that more intimate knowledge of God, it is the words that he reveals to his people, chiefly in his written word. And it is special revelation, uh, that which God reveals especially uh, through his word and through the prophets, that springs forth communion with God. But the idea is that it's all coming from him. This is knowledge that is being revealed and it's coming from God. We echo the scriptures where it says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for us. That is, uh, a full comprehension of who God is, an intimacy with his glory, all of that is too wonderful for us. We do not possess the requisite holiness or character or purity or capacity for knowledge to know these things in and of ourselves. God must reveal himself. We read in John chapter 1 that uh, Jesus, who would be known as Jesus Christ, God the Son, is from everlasting known as the Logos. He is known as the divine word. And what that tells us about who the Christ is, is that he is especially, even from all eternity past in the plan of God, he especially was the one who was given the special task of revealing knowledge to the people of God. And if such knowledge is too wonderful for human beings to be the ones who who possess it and then pass it on, it only can come from God, then there's some way in which Christ was the revealer of that knowledge from eternity past. So you remember in Micah chapter 5, 
In verse 2, it says, From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Christ, as the second person of the Trinity, eternal Son of God, eternal Logos, has, is the one who has always been revealing this knowledge of God. One way that we see this is true is that even before Christ comes to earth, he is the mediator of the covenant of grace, which is put into effect in Genesis chapter 3. God says, I'm going to save you on the basis of a promise. You are now sinful, you are fallen, but there will be a redeemer. There will be one who is to come. And whoever would trust in that promise, looking forward to that redeemer, Uh, would be saved. And we see the covenant of grace uh, creating a unity between Old Testament and New. And so even from Genesis 3, uh, the Christ is acting as the mediator of the covenant of grace. And as that mediator, he is fulfilling already, in a mysterious way, but already that office of the prophet. The prophet for God's people who brings forth knowledge. He is this prophet from everlasting. We also see in the Old Testament there are many theophanies, many instances in which uh, God appears. And it seems as if he's appearing in the form of a man. So Abraham and Joshua and Jacob all have these encounters with God where in the text it seems as though God is taking the form of a man. Well, this is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is God the Son who's coming to earth taking on the form of a man and he's doing it to reveal something about God. It is always for revelation. Also, as we look at the Old Testament and we read the Old Testament, well, who is inspiring the writings of the Old Testament scriptures? Well, certainly we would say it is the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is carrying forth the will of the second person of the Trinity in revealing all of those things. So 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, speaking of what the prophets were doing. 1 Peter 1 verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully in what, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. So Peter says, what was, how do we talk about the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is inspiring the writings of the Old Testament? Well, that is the Spirit of Christ. Why? Because it is God the Son who is fulfilling his role as the revealer of the knowledge of God and it is the Spirit who carries forth that knowledge. All of this is to say... That even before Christ became incarnate, even before he came to this earth, he was fulfilling this role and this office of the prophet of God's people. Now, uh, of what benefit is that, to use the Heidelberg's categories? What what good does knowledge uh, of that do? Well, certainly it causes us to stand in awe of Christ, the power that he has, his eternity, his divinity. And it also fills us with confidence that we know that if Christ has been the prophet of God's people from everlasting, ultimately the one from whom, that special divine person from whom, all of the knowledge of God is flowing forth. If he has been that from everlasting, then we can be filled with confidence that he will always be that. And that the faith that we exercise in him is good and true and reliable. And it is wise because he always has been the source of knowledge. Christ is also the prophet 
the true and ultimate and final prophet in the fullness of time. So when Jesus Christ comes to the earth, he makes very clear that what he has done or what he is doing is he has come to make God known and to make salvation known. So we have one of the great I am statements in uh, John 8 tonight before us. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That metaphor of light is very clearly connected to knowledge. When you walk into a dark room, you don't know what is in that room until you turn on the light so you can see it. And Jesus says this is what he does in his earthly ministry. He's turning on lights. He's going from town to town and place to place and he's telling people, look to me, follow me, trust in me, learn from me and you will come to know what it means to live. He's the light of the world. His purpose is to come and make the will of God known. He teaches what the Father has given to him. So he once again, as we talked about this morning, he affirms his role of a willing servant. He reveals the will of God for our salvation. So he brings forth what the Father has told him to teach. So when Jesus is challenged that there's no one to vouch for him, there's no one to bear witness for him, he says that he actually does have someone to verify who he is, but it must be accepted upon faith. Jesus says, well, my Father bears witness about me. But how are we to accept that or to know that it's true? We must trust what Jesus says and we must exercise faith in all that he is revealing. So in our passage, verse 14 of John 8, Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. Speaking there of heaven, obviously. But you have no idea where I came from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. When Jesus says, you judge by human standards, he's saying faith is a supernatural thing. Not only is it a supernatural thing, the source of it is supernatural, but it is trusting in something that is supernatural. Accept my words, exercise faith in all that I am saying. If you believe the words of Jesus, he is saying, then you therefore believe that I really came from heaven. And if you believe that I really came from heaven, then you would believe that I carry with myself the authority of my Father. And you would believe that I am speaking his words. You would believe that I am revealing only what he told me to teach you. And he sends his testimony ahead in regards to me. What the hearers of Jesus are believing when they exercise faith in him and accept his teaching is that Jesus is capable of bringing the knowledge of God to them. If such knowledge is too wonderful for a mere man, what we are believing when we accept this testimony of Jesus is that such knowledge is not too wonderful for him. He is intimate with the things of God. This is a a wonderful truth of the Christian faith. It sets Christianity apart from other religions. You think of the, the Muslim faith, which has a strong emphasis on the incomprehensibility of God to the point that there is much less that they can assert that they know 
because God is so distant. There is not a mediator of knowledge, one who brings forth the things of God. And you see how that is so wonderfully pictured for us in the incarnation of Christ. He is God, he is man, and thus he is able to bring the things of God to man. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. There in John 1, the issue is not necessarily only having a vision of God, a physical vision of God, but being acquainted with the things of God, of knowing God, having an intimate knowledge of who he is and his ways and his purposes and his decrees. This is the same point that Jesus makes in John chapter 3, speaking to Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I came from heaven. And since I did, then you must believe that what I have is an intimate knowledge of the things of God. That is why he came. He is a prophet from everlasting. He's a prophet in the fullness of time. And he is your prophet now. He is your prophet now. He is still the great prophet of the church. And what that means is that in our pursuit of knowing God, which is part of our great purpose, to love God as we worship him, And seek greater knowledge of him. All to glorify him. That means in our pursuit of knowing God. We must begin. And always continue. By exercising faith upon the person of Christ. Trust in who he is. Trust that he is the one who teaches us. Trust that it is part of his work. To reveal things to us. He is our source of knowledge. Colossians chapter 2 says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, trust in Christ. Exercise faith upon him and his person. It is wise to do so because the knowledge that Jesus gives to us is authoritative knowledge. We are not saying that it is not the Spirit who inspires the Scriptures or who illumines them. We are saying that the Spirit, as the Spirit of Christ, is the divine person who carries that knowledge that Jesus gives. He becomes the source of it, and the Spirit brings it forth. Richard Gaffin, a theologian, said that the gift of the Spirit is nothing less than the gift of Christ himself to the church. To have the Spirit is to have the mind of Christ, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That is the first point of Jesus being our prophet now. That we need the Holy Spirit, but that Jesus is the one who has the power, the authority, to send the Spirit to us to lead us into all truth. When the Holy Spirit guides us into truth as we hear the word or read the word, we understand that this is an outgrowth of Christ's prophetic office. We read the Bible after a family dinner, read a chapter of the scriptures, and we pray that God, by his Spirit, would illumine those scriptures to us. 
And supernaturally, miraculously, it's been happening all throughout the history of the church. The Spirit leads God's people into truth. A true understanding of those scriptures when he is pleased to grant it. And that is an outgrowth of Christ's prophetic ministry. His prophetic office. And thus, if it comes from God in such a way that this is what Christ is doing. And when God is pleased to grant an understanding of of his word it should be our expectation that it would not simply be knowledge that we just sort of hold in our head but that it would be knowledge that transforms us it's knowledge that changes us if God would send forth this knowledge that Christ would send forth this knowledge to his people carried along by the Holy Spirit it would be for a purpose and that purpose is so that we would be transformed by it Jesus gets to this in our passage in John 8 Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Jesus is making disciples and exercising his prophetic office. And so when he grants knowledge to his people, it is for the purpose of carrying us along in disciple making or becoming a disciple. Then you will know the truth, he said, and the truth will set you free. It will teach you how to live. It will show you how to live before the face of God. It's authoritative and thus it's transforming. It's also infallible. It is true and it is without error, the understanding that God gives. John 8 verse 26, I have much to say in judgment of you, Jesus said, but he who sent me is reliable and what I have heard from him I tell the world. That word for reliable is actually just the word true. The one who sent me Jesus says, is true. He is the truth. He can do nothing but say the truth. It points, uh, this flows forth out of what we know of God. He is perfect. His ways are perfect. And so if it is God's word, then God's word is perfect as well. All that he reveals, all that comes forth from him is perfect. Jesus says that he is revealing the heavenly things that he knows and understands. He says, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Jesus then only reveals eternal truth and unchanging truth. Thus we should expect that when Jesus, as our great and ultimate prophet, when he teaches us, it will not only never change in its truthfulness, any, anything that comes from God is always true and ever will be true. But it has the power to grant eternal life. That's why we should seek it. it. We should seek it because it grants eternal life. John 8 verse 24, Jesus said, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. What should this mean about the seriousness with which we ought to think about the knowledge of God? And so often we we can approach these things in a cavalier way. But how serious is the knowledge of God? And and how serious ought, ought we to pursue it? There's nothing more important in our life than growing in our knowledge of God. And if we know God truly and we know Jesus Christ, then how grateful should we be that Christ has exercised his office of prophet to us in just such a way that God was pleased to give us 
authoritative and life-transforming and life-giving knowledge of himself. We should be grateful as well as serious. We should equally be humble. Humble as we know that this knowledge did not come from us. If there are true understandings that we have about God and his word, if we have been given eternal life through the knowledge that we have about Jesus Christ, then this did not originate within ourselves. And it was not primarily because we labored so hard to gain this knowledge, though we may have done so. We may have labored to gain much knowledge of God. But knowledge, true knowledge of God, only comes by sovereign grace. Christ exercising that office that is his alone. So it's infallible. And uh, we take confidence in that. And then finally, it is full. That which Christ reveals to the church, that which is given to us in the word of God, is everything uh, that we need to know. In other words, God is not holding anything back from the church so that the church might live and exist and survive and thrive in these times. God is not withholding anything from us. Second Peter chapter 1, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. If that is true, then we know that if we are exercising faith in the person of Jesus Christ and trusting who he is as our prophet, then we can be filled with confidence that there's nothing lacking in all that he reveals to us. And then, of course, connected to that confidence is a comfort. Second Peter goes on to say, he has granted to us his very true and great and precious promises. God has furnished us with enough, with enough promises about what he is doing, about what he will always do, what he continues to do, how he saves us, how he transforms us, how he fits us for eternity. He gives us these promises so that we can live and die in the comfort that is ours in Jesus Christ. So uh, as we give our faith to all of these things, trusting in Christ in all of these ways, especially what we focus, what we focus on are all of the promises of God. Why? Because God is true. He does not lie. He does not fail to give, uh, to fulfill any of the promises that he gives. So one of the things that we ought especially to seek is to know what has God promised to us? What has he promised to me? What does he promise to his people? As Peter says, these are very great and very precious. In the context of all of this, we understand and know that all the knowledge that we have comes from Jesus Christ. He is our great prophet from everlasting, the fullness of time, He's your prophet now, so trust in him, have faith in him, and ask God to grant you a fuller knowledge of himself through Christ by the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of these things, and we ask that you would be pleased to give us a greater knowledge of yourself. We thank you that Christ fulfills this office of prophet. May we be humble, may we be grateful, may we take it seriously. May we be filled with confidence and comfort because of all that you reveal to us. In Christ's name, amen.